Last Sunday morning's brochure was an opportunity for you to not only find out what God's doing behind the scenes, but great opportunity for you to share it with somebody else, maybe to invite them to our church, or if at least you want to help them find out a little bit about who we are behind the scenes, that's also there. And we have some more available. If you didn't get one, certainly take it. All the uh, slate of elders and deacons were approved last Sunday in the vote, and we appreciate that. A lot of announcements in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully so you don't miss out on anything at all. Today is the last day to sign up for man camp, March 9 and 10. If we don't have another 20, uh, we're going to have to cancel. So today's the last day. You can do it online. But uh, sometimes you think, yeah, I will get to that. You need to get to that by Tuesday because I've got to make that decision on Tuesday. And also today is the last day to sign up for the premarital seminar. If you're in a relationship, going to get married, or at least in a deep relationship where you want to find out what it entails to have one that lasts for a lifetime, that's for you as well. And we've got to know how many so we have the right setup. So if you can do that, we would appreciate that. Take out your sermon notes and your bulletin this morning as we continue our series in the book of James. I sound loud to me. Am I loud to you? Yes, okay, a few of you are. Now, I've got a question that sounds a little bit redundant, and I know it's a tough question, but if I were to ask you, where do you get your joy, your happiness, your sense of well-being? And I'm talking about that deep, deep down inside yourself sense of well-being, your sense of fulfillment. What would your answer be? Most of you would say work, right? <laughs> okay, maybe not. How about your kids? Grandkids. Most of us grandparents would say, if I'd have known grandkids were that fun, I'd have just bypassed the kids and had them, right? They're just a lot of fun. We've had one each weekend this past weekend and last weekend as well. They're an enormous amount of energy. And some of you would probably say your spouse. Others would say it's retirement. <laughs> I finally am able to just slow down and stop. Maybe some would say hobbies. Hopefully a lot of you would say church. Maybe another way to ask the question is, where do you find value? Again, that deep down inside, I'm okay, value. Some of you would say, what I do, where I'm at, where I live, my family, my possessions, how others view me. Now, all of those are good. All of those do give you, in a, one way or the other, a sense of happiness, a sense of joy, a a sense of gratitude or completeness in some ways or the other. But the problem is, if you find your value in those things, you know as well as I do, they can all change pretty rapidly. My finances could drop in a moment. Regardless of where we are in the stock market, that up and down, you've all been around long enough to know things can change in that area in a moment. My house, if I find value in where I live or what I drive, those things can change pretty rapidly. And even if you find your greatest value in your relationship with your mate, you know as well as I do, sometimes that can change. And at other times, they may feel like you're trying to pull everything they can possibly give you to make you feel that way, and they were never meant to do that. Now, you will find an enormous amount of value and fulfillment and a sense of joy and happiness in a marital relationship that is biblical and godly, and hopefully a lot of you have already found that. But some of us are trying to get everything we possibly can to fill our soul from that mate, and if we were to be really honest and ask them that questions, you're draining them. 
because they weren't meant to do all of that. They do bring a lot of that, but they weren't meant to do all of that. And sometimes we try to find ourselves and our value and our sense of well-being and all of those things in things that were never meant to be. Solomon in the Old Testament in your sermon notes, a classic example of someone who had it all. He even said, I had it all. I went after it all. I enlarged my house. I stockpiled gold. Everything my eyes desired, I went after. And the fascinating part of that is he could get it. It's one thing to say, I wanted to go after everything I saw. In his case, he could get it all. Wealth, women, no matter what it was. He literally went after every single thing he saw, and he could have it. There's a powerful statement in your notes this morning. This is probably what he would say, what I could go after, unlimited. The results, unfulfilled. That's incredible. From a guy who really did go after it all. Solomon described it as, I'm chasing after the wind. I'm, I'm try, I feel like I'm trying to harness the wind in a net with a lot of holes in it. I thought certainly somewhere along the way, most of that would satisfy me. Everything I went after, he said, to satisfy this deep hole in my soul felt like I was chasing after the wind. And when it's all said and done, I realized it was in God and God alone all the time. And when I settle that, then everything else falls underneath that. Solomon described it thousands of years ago. So does Jesus in the New Testament when he has a conversation with a woman at the well. And he said, you're trying to find satisfaction and fill that deep hole in your soul with so many things that aren't going to do that. And you're still coming up empty. James as well says the same thing. We're going to start in chapter 3 of the book of James this morning, verse 13. We're going to go into chapter 4. We're going to spend a week or two on it. I've said to everybody at 10 o'clock this morning, I'll decide exactly where we're going to go next week. All the material has been put together, but there are so many powerful things. Now I know. How many times have I said this to you? If you really embrace everything I'm going to say in the next few weeks, it could change your life. Dozens of times. I am honestly telling you, if you really honestly embrace what I'm sharing with you in these weeks together, it really, really will change your life. In James chapter 3 and 4, he contrasts where we get wisdom from God or from the world around me. Who is wise and understanding among you? That's a rhetorical question, but it's a really legitimate question. Let me see it. Let me visualize it. Let me see it in your life. Let me see it in the deeds you've done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about that or deny the truth. That kind of wisdom doesn't come from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, you'll find disorder and every evil practice. But wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. And then it's peace-loving, it's considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, and partial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So what causes fights and quarrels among you? When, when James is writing, he's not looking for, oh, that was verse 1, that was verse 2, this is chapter 4. He just flows with a story. You don't have, peacemakers are those who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you, by the way? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, 
but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. You're looking for all of those things in all the wrong places. Interesting story of a defiant kid who was placed in a corner by his mom and turned around and said, well, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Paul kind of described that in Romans chapter 7 when he said, you know what? Now, this is the Apostle Paul. The very things I want to do, I don't seem to do. And the very things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Who is that? Do you ever feel like that vicious cycle? I really want to obey God. I really want to follow God. I really want to have consistent devotions. I really want to be the kind of person that others can look to. And I'm trying really hard. And then every once in a while, I slip up. And I feel like I'm on a treadmill at times, trying to do the right things, ending up doing the wrong things. And then he asks a question and answers it. Who is going to save me from that vicious cycle of trying to find life and energy and everything else? Oh, God. My Lord Jesus Christ. James deals with a subject here this morning and talks about that cycle that we run on and battles that we face. He describes in your sermon those three. One is that we fight against each other. The psalmist said, how good is it when brothers come together in unity? But sadly, it doesn't always happen. If you look through Scripture, you'll find that conflict was something that was seen all the way through the New Testament and the Old as well. Even in the New Testament, disciples, the very ne- we're going to celebrate communion in a moment. And I'm going to share with you verses out of Corinthians where the Apostle Paul said, the very night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread Pass it out and said, this is where you get life, by the way. And then communion, this is where you, or the cup, this is where you get forgiveness for your sins. That very night that Paul doesn't mention that New Testament Gospels do, the guys who were to receive this from Jesus on that very night that he was betrayed were arguing amongst themselves who was better than the other one. He likes me more. I'm Jesus' favorite. It's one thing to be your mom or dad's favorite, I mean, a couple of them are thinking, I'm Jesus' favorite. The church at Corinth had Christians suing one another. The church at Philippi had two ladies that were constantly disrupting the entire flow of the service and the event that God was trying to do. Throughout the book of Acts, you'll find constant conflict, even with saints like Paul and Barnabas. Paul said to the Galatians that they were biting and devouring one another. Sounds like a hockey game, doesn't it? In James, he talks about class conflicts, wealth conflicts, church conflicts, personal conflicts. And what's sad about it is the world watches us, followers of Jesus, to find out what difference he makes. And when you see that constant conflict going on, they're turned off. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one as he and his Father is one, and that oneness would continue. But sadly, it doesn't always happen. Why? He tells us in chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't you know that that comes from evil desires within you, which is the second battle, a battle in ourselves or within ourselves. And the reason he says that is we're doing battle outwardly is that to be really honest with you, we don't have a whole lot of peace inwardly. And you probably won't have peace inwardly, outwardly until you have peace inwardly. You probably won't find peace relationally and in any other way 
outwardly until you have a sense of peace inwardly. And that only comes from Christ. Classic example again in the Old Testament between David and Saul. After David killed Goliath and everybody started singing, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. That really ate at Saul. So much so that he opened himself up for that awful battle inside. And again, that battle of jealousy that eventually destroyed him. James says it's impossible to have peace on the outside until we get peace on the inside. If you know someone who is always having trouble with Mary and then with John and then with Larry and always seems to be having trouble getting along with people, you'll pretty much be able to assume that there's a common denominator there somewhere. James says you're not going to be at peace within until you have peace with him. And the thing that keeps you from peace within is selfishness or wanting your own way. Because all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Eve ate the apple not because she was hungry. You get that? Eve ate the apple not because she was hungry, but because she wanted something she didn't or shouldn't have. And that, my friends, will eat a hole in your soul. All through Scripture, you see it. Two things about selfish desires. They keep us from a sense of contentment. In verse 2, he tells us that. And they also keep us from effectively praying. Why? Because, as it says, as we continue, you're asking with the wrong motives. The last commandment of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not covet. Want what you don't have. And that one commandment, has the potential of killing our soul. It's a picture of human depravity. Even that perfect little angel that's in your house, you know is not perfect. We're all born sinners with a sinful nature capable of destruction without the power and the blood of Jesus Christ covering our lives and controlling our lives. And until we get that real understanding of what Jesus wants to do in us, we're constantly going to wrestle with what Paul wrestled with in verse seven of Rome, chapter 7 of Romans. I want to do some things I don't, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Human depravity can best be described in three words, my own way. Mark Twain said, if I could kick in the pants the person responsible for all the troubles in my life, I wouldn't be able to sit down for weeks. And even as believers, if you remember the old hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the Lord I love? Who would do that as followers of Jesus? We sing it because we're always looking for something else if we don't find everything we need with God, which leads to the third battle, a battle with God. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture said without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he caused to dwell in us? Now, we're going to talk this Sunday and next Sunday about that world and what that really looks like. It's a gradual process in your notes. There are things that we want, things that we look for, things that we see, whether it be what somebody else has or that next house or that next car, that next thing, whatever that may be. And we find ourselves just thinking about it. We like that. We like what it offers. And then we find ourselves going down this, uh, this progression until we really are in love with all of those things. And that's where we are finding our value. And Jesus said, I want to be really honest with you. You can't serve both. 
You have to decide. Am I in charge of your life? Am I in control of your life? Are you seeking everything you need from me? I'm telling you, if you put me first, I guarantee you everything else will line up underneath that and you'll find everything you've ever wanted and then some. But you got to put me first. James says you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You don't kill with words. But we do. We covet what we don't want or what we want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask for the right reasons. We live in a culture that is written or trying to write God out of every aspect of life. A culture that has ruled God out of a place that it could go to find the ultimate fulfillment of life. And I'm not talking about just those who never attend church. I'm talking about people who do go to church, who like the fact that they feel religious, they go to church, but when you talk about total, absolute, full surrender to Jesus, total commitment of oneself to God, where I find all of my fulfillment and all of my satisfaction from Him, not everyone who even sits in a church does that. When you and I come to faith in Christ, we come to Jesus as our Savior. He saves us from our sins. But we come to Him for more than that. And He wants us to come to Him for more than that. When we come to faith in Christ, we want forgiveness for our sins and eternal life, and we get all of that. But when we come to faith in Christ, Jesus wants more than just offering us forgiveness and eternal life. In your notes, he wants to be more than our Savior, more than our King. He wants in this relationship to be the groom and for us to be the bride. He wants an exclusive relationship with us where we find fulfillment in him and everything else then flows out of that. Where everything I've ever wanted to find value and joy and happiness and satisfaction comes from the depth of my relationship with Jesus. And then out of that, everything I'm looking for lines up accordingly. And I find that all that other stuff, as wonderful as and enjoyable as it is, doesn't really satisfy like him. How many of you married for money? <laughs> Seriously? You raise your hands. That's awesome. Some people come to God like the spiritual equivalent of marrying for money. No one wants that kind of relationship in marriage, and neither does God. He doesn't want us to come to him for what he gives, although he gives us all. He wants us to come for a wonderfully deep, meaningful relationship with him where we find our fulfillment in him, not for what we get from him. And that is a huge difference. Some people come to God for fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. You mean there are two options, heaven and hell? Yes, there is. Without Jesus, there's eternity in hell. Billy Graham, who just died this week, spent all of those years preaching that to 2.2 billion people. There is only two options, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which takes you to heaven, and without Jesus, you reject him. He doesn't throw you there. You choose to go there, which is eternal damnation without God. And so when that message is declared and people hear that there are only two differences, I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell, so if Jesus gets me out of that, I'm in. And so I raise a card, I raise my hand, I sign a card, I say a prayer. But sadly enough, a lot of people only want that. I've heard them say it over and over again after their crusades. You have no idea the amount of people that only wanted to have that in that moment and then don't want to do anything deeper than that. God is so much more than that. 
So much more than all the things in life that we think are going to grant us the fulfillment and happiness that we want. God wants more than that. He wants an exclusive relationship with us. Anything else will keep you always looking around for the next best thing. Who would ever want to be in a marriage that way? A lot of people get excited about God at first. But when he doesn't answer the way we want him to or... He does something we don't understand. The relationship gets kind of cool. God wants an exclusive relationship with us as we do in our marriage, which is why he says what he does in verse 4 and 5. You adulterous people, don't you get it? You're looking for life in all the wrong places. I'm a jealous God, verse 5. No one wants to be in a marriage relationship with someone who is always looking around because there's no depth in that relationship. It's just existence until the next best thing comes along. When I came into my marriage with Connie, we got engaged 45 years ago this past week. I expected total fidelity, and so should, and so does she. James indicates there is another love sometimes that pulls us away. He defines it as the world. Now, when you hear that term, it creates a lot of thoughts that run through our mind. There are three definitions in the Bible. One is the globe, the physical earth. The other is the people of the world, for God so loved the world. He didn't love the globe, per se. He loved the people in the world. And then there's that world system. And that's what he's referring to here, that life comes from things or pleasure or knowledge. Now, when you hear that term, there are a lot of things that may run through your mind. When I grew up, it was things... Dances, movies, playing cards, whatever it may be. For my wife, it was a whole lot of different things. But so many times we put it within the context of things. And really, the biblical answer is anything that pulls me away from my relationship with God. Where I find, as Dave said a little while ago, I'm looking for all of those other things to give me life. When it's really in God and God alone. And everything else is a counterfeit. It's kind of a small g God. And it comes in a lot of ways. Choosing to ignore moral boundaries, going against moral right and wrong, finding life from other things that were never meant to be. Those of you who are parents are raising children in an environment where they're going to hear that over and over and over again, that life can be from so many other things. And sometimes if we're not careful, we feed into that. Do I have any 10 or 12-year-olds here this morning? 10, 12-year-old kids? Are you, honey? Come here a minute. Will you mind? Hey, Colin, will you hand me my cell phone then? Hey, babe, if I ask you a question, here's the keys to my truck. Okay? Have fun. Take it wherever you want to go. Do whatever you want to do. Would you do it? <laughs> kind of debating on that, aren't you? You know what's interesting not a one of us, thank you, honey. Not a one of us as a parent would ever do that, give the keys to our vehicle to a 10 or a 12-year-old and say, here, no, no limits, do whatever you want. But so many times we give them this with no restrictions, no limits, and no boundaries. And you can be mad at me till Jesus comes back. But I'm telling you, you're setting a dangerous precedent. Because they're getting life and energy and thoughts and a belief system 
and everything else without limits and without control that are so dangerous that they're going to think they can find everything and you can find more information, talk about more of it next week, more information than you'll ever be able to grasp in a lifetime just from that. And we would never, thank you for coming, honey, we would never give them the keys to our vehicle and tell them do whatever they want. But man, I'm telling you, we're giving them keys to something that if they're not careful and we don't help them, they're going to find that everything they'll ever need is in that and from that. And they don't need God. An incredibly sad change in the book of Judges where after God had done everything with Moses and Joshua, he showed himself, revealed himself, and they realized everything they ever looked for was in God. They found out the next generation kind of heard about God. And the third generation after that didn't even know who God was. And if we're not careful, if we, as followers of Jesus Christ, who find ourselves saying, I'm a committed follower of Jesus, I love him, aren't setting the precedent of people who are flat out, totally given to a relationship with Jesus where we find value and strength and everything else, and we've got all the other right things lined up underneath that, there's going to come a day, which many of us are already seeing lived out, where they not only don't know what God has done, they don't even know who God is. God help us from that. Going to end the sermon this morning with communion. And on many occasions, what we always do in, when we celebrate communion is we recognize the body and blood of Christ. What's fascinating about doing it today is that when I ask you to hold the bread in your hands and the cup in your hands, the bread representing Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, and the cup that represents forgiveness of sins, I say to you, Jesus said, this, my friends, is where you get life from me and me alone. Don't look for it in all those other places. I'm guaranteeing you it will not satisfy. You want forgiveness? It is available through the blood of Christ. If you know Jesus as your Savior, we'd love for you to share it. Community stores are going to come down just now. Come on, gentlemen. And they're going to take these trays and they're going to serve you all over this sanctuary here this morning. You'll notice if you've never been here before that it, the bread and the cup are in the same tray. And we just simply ask you to take them both at the same time. Help the person beside you if you need to. You don't have to be a member of this church. You do have to know Jesus as your Savior. And you can do that where you are this morning. And honestly admit, you know, Lord, <clears throat> I have been trying to find life from everything else. I want to commit to you. And for those of us who know him as Savior and realize we've probably been playing the game where we are looking for life in some of the wrong places, these next five minutes would be a great time to straighten it out between you and Jesus. Wait till we're all over served, and then I'll come back and lead us together.
I'm undone by the mercy of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. I'm restored and made right. He got a hold of my life. I've got Jesus. How could I want more? Apostle Paul describes the scene in the upper room. He says what I said a moment ago. Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread, blessed it and broke it, and said, this is my life given for you. And then he took the cup, passed it around, and said, this is where you receive forgiveness of sin. It's in my blood and mine alone. No longer do you have to sacrifice any animal. I have already made the sacrifice. I'm about to do that. And every time you do this, you do it in memory of me. Paul goes on in that same section of Scripture to say, I just want to tell you, though, before you eat the bread and drink the cup, you got to look inside. As you're supposed to. So look inside. God, is there anything that's gotten in the way of where I found life and energy from you? I want to talk to you about that for a second. Then share the bread. You do it between you and him. Then take the bread and the cup. Father, your grace is the one thing we never want to take for granted. You have given everything. We're just honored to be recipients of that. And as we continue to wrestle through that process of what may have gotten in the way, I trust you help us to honestly assess, make the necessary changes. Because you know when we do, we'll find everything we've ever needed has been in you all along. And so we thank you for that. Continue to guide us and direct us as we live out your word every day. And as we process it into our own journey, in the name of Jesus, I pray. One of the hardest things about a section of Scripture that is so long is that I can't share it all with you today, and you wouldn't want it. You couldn't receive it all. 
But in these next few verses, James gives one of the absolute best descriptions of the journey to get back to where I once was or need to be, probably as good as anywhere in the entire New Testament in these next dozen verses. And next Sunday morning, we're going to unpack them one at a time and give you the process that's necessary to make sure that he is number one. Everything else then flows underneath that. Again, we'd love to have you. And so many of our different events are all over the campus. If uh, you notice our kids this morning, today, from what I understand, is wear your favorite pajama day. I definitely wasn't going to do that. I'm glad they are. If I can help you or pray with you in any way, be honored to do that. Take care. God bless. And we'll see you next Sunday.